Thank you guys for being here this morning. I'm excited to continue studying Genesis. How many of you like roller coasters? I knew Todd's hand was going to go up. I see a few hands out there. What, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite roller coaster? Batman. Yeah. Okay. What's the appeal of roller coasters? Okay, speed, fear. It's the excitement. I mean, if you could boil it down, right? The adrenaline rush. Like, whether you like them or not, you can't deny that they provide an experience that is unlike our normal mundane life. Now, how many of you have never been on a roller coaster? Oh, not very many. Or some of you just don't want to raise your hands no matter what. Even if you haven't been on a roller coaster, you have probably experienced what I call a roller coaster faith. And actually, would somebody, Toby, would you shut that? I turned that on, but I forgot to shut it off. This, this above head air conditioner, the, yeah, the panel back there, it's kind of loud. <clears throat> Jim's got it. I turned it on earlier because one of our systems this on this side wasn't kicking in this morning and it, we got it going late and so we were just trying to cool things down. But like I said, many of us have probably experienced what I call a roller coaster faith. Maybe it was a retreat, a camp, a revival, a crusade, a concert, an especially moving church service, whatever it may be. Maybe it felt like the Holy Spirit was just there in a way that you had never felt before. Maybe you, you, it even got you so excited that, I don't know, maybe you started to shuffle your feet a little bit. Or maybe your, your hands started in this clapping motion. Or maybe your arms felt like they were going to drift upward and go in the air. And that's just talking about music. Maybe you, you cried during a message or maybe whatever it was that you experienced afterwards, you went home and you made big life changes. The Christian life inevitably has its spiritual highs and lows. To some degree, we can't escape that. But we can escape living on a spiritual roller coaster where we never establish a stable equilibrium. We can escape pursuing a dream world where every day is the mountaintop. We can escape being a church member who's always complaining about something that they want, wish were different. Like never content with whatever it is, the music, the decorations, the events, the programs, or, or God forbid, the preaching. We can escape being a Christian who never commits to a church family, but endlessly bounces from pasture to pasture, always seeking greener grass. Today we are studying Genesis 17, where we find God calling Abraham, who, whose faith to me appeared to waver between high highs and low lows. And God calls him to walk in his presence. And then God gives him reminders of his covenant and his faithfulness to help him 
do that very thing, to walk in his presence. So let's read Genesis 17. All right, I'm starting in verse 1. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring. Whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai... Do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, No. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. So Abraham took his son Ishmael and those born in his household or purchased every male among the members of Abraham's household. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old. The flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. And his son Ishmael was 13 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his household, whether born in his household or purchased from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, this is not something that was just written thousands of years ago that has no 
meaning in our lives today. It is not something that is irrelevant. It is not something that we should discard, that we should skip over. Lord, there are wonderful things to learn here. There are truths that carry on today. And I pray that you would help our hearts to be ready to just let you be you in our lives. To let the Holy Spirit do all the things that he does. Lord, that he would do the things that my words can't do, but I pray that my words would bring honor and glory to you, that they would be faithful to your word. And I pray that you would help us today to learn how not to live on a roller coaster with our faith as we can learn from your word how to do that. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first thing that I want to highlight this morning is not the text itself, but the gap in the text. All right, so between chapter 16 and 17, there was this 13-year gap because at the end of chapter 16, Ishmael was born, and now he's 13 years old. And so that means there was this period of time between his birth and God coming to re-verify the covenant that he had already told Abram about. And it's quite clear in Genesis that Sarah was not fond of the household situation that she helped create. Because now there was a child in the family and it wasn't hers. And Abraham loved that child, Ishmael. But there was a lot of family tension. This was likely not the happiest 13 years of Abram and Sarai's marriage. But beyond that, it was also a long period of time for them to be waiting to hear from God. And of course, it could have been a lot longer than that. We just know from Ishmael's birth to here was 13 years, but it could have been a lot longer between God actually communicating with Abraham. And I'm sure they both realized, well, we're not getting any younger. And they probably realized that their attempt to take matters into their own hands had not been very productive. So here's what I wonder. I wonder if during that 13 years, if Abram thought that he messed up the covenant. You know what I mean? He might have questioned whether his impatience and his sin removed God's promise from his life. There might have been this nagging thought in the back of his head. Well, maybe, maybe the covenant's off. Man, I, I probably ruined this for all of us. And that would be true if he were in a covenant with anyone except the Lord. He was about to find out that his sin was no match for God's faithfulness. And neither is ours. We can get the same way with our own salvation, right? Which is a covenant. In fact, it's the same covenant that started here in Genesis. And it's not the same covenant per se, but, you know, it's, it still started here. These promises took a new form in light of Christ. And we've already taught on some of those aspects of how the covenant and the fulfillments of these things shifted in Christ. So I won't rehash all those details, but just remember that Abraham becomes a blessing to all nations by being the lineage where we get our Savior. And we become, we Gentiles become heirs of Abraham through our faith in Jesus, 
And even the land has an ultimate fulfillment in the new Jerusalem on the new earth at the end. Now, unfortunately, saved people still do some pretty awful things sometimes. And we can be tempted to think, well, maybe I've ruined my salvation. Maybe the deal is off. But let me reassure you, that is not the kind of God we are working with. We're in a covenant with the kind of God who died for us while we were still sinners. The kind of God who says nothing in all creation can separate us from His love. The kind of God who seals us with the Holy Spirit. And that is a seal that cannot be broken. So I believe wholeheartedly that there is no such thing as an ex-Christian. Because salvation is not something we lose Because real Christians put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross and not what we do on the ground. Now, don't misunderstand me. We've talked more about these issues before. Don't misunderstand. False converts are real. And they are widespread and plentiful. So this sermon's sole focus is not on the assurance of salvation. So I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritty on those details. But I'll say what the Bible says. We are sealed with the Spirit. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But faith without works is dead. If you say that you love Jesus but you don't obey His commands, you're a liar. We're going to look at that scripture later. Many people will claim to have known Jesus. And He will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. So yes, false converts are real. And it's a serious problem. But nonetheless, for true believers with real faith, we needn't worry that we will mess up the covenant. Those thoughts that run through our head as they might have run through Abram's are unwarranted and they're based on a false view of reality. Of course, we do well to recognize how sinful and pathetic we are. Truth be told, we likely do not even come close to plumbing the depths of our depravity, but we definitely don't come close to climbing the heights of God's fidelity. Yes, we are that bad, but yes, He is that good. So we need to live in a reality based on the truths revealed by God himself in Scripture rather than the alternate realities that we make up in our own minds and we feel with our truths. This becomes one of those roller coasters that Christians live on, right? Does God love me or doesn't he? Has he saved me or hasn't he? Did he seal me or didn't he? The reality that Abram and we live in is one of a God who makes an unconditional covenant with us. And we know that this covenant was, was assured. Like, it was a done deal. We know that because we know the end. Right? God planned it out all along and would not, has not, and will not let anything get in the way of bringing it to completion. He proved himself faithful with Abraham and Israel. He proved himself faithful through Christ. He is proving himself faithful today by giving us the Holy Spirit. And he will prove himself faithful by bringing it all to the finish line at the New Jerusalem. Now, not all covenants 
of God were like that. You'll see in Scripture that there are covenants that were conditional. It was a give-and-take kind of relationship with some other things. And of course, I mean, you could say that there's conditions even with this one in the fact that, yes, there always was a faithful remnant along the way. But we know that God had it all planned out and that it was a sure thing. And this covenant that we call the Abrahamic covenant was that kind of covenant. And it reflects our own salvation. Abram might have doubted that. But God was going to come to clear it up for him, which he does in the first two verses. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Now, I love the command that God gives here. Now, this translation says, live in my presence. But most translations actually say, walk before me. Now, and I like that, uh, but I don't want it to conjure up the image of like us leading the way, like, here, follow me, God. No, it's not like that kind of walk before me. Picture it as walking in God's presence. Right? And, and I mean, live is fine, too, but the term walk brings up something that I think is really important that I've taught on before, but it's worth reminding us that living in God's presence is a walk. It's not a run. Up to this point, my reading of Scripture shows me that Abraham had a bit of this roller coaster faith. He had these really times of amazing faith and then this ridiculous doubt, right? He had faith to listen to God and leave his land to go to a new land, but then he didn't have faith that he wasn't going to be killed for his beautiful geriatric wife. He had faith to go rescue Lot from armies with just a few hundred guys, but then he didn't have faith that God was actually going to give him a child like he said he was. So if Abram's story were the tortoise and the hare, so far he really looks like the hare. He has the, instead of walking with God consistently one day, one step at a time, he sprints forward in faith and then decides to take a rest. Hey, listen, roller coasters may be fun, but roller coaster faith is not. Our bodies may need rest, but our faith does not. And I believe there's a good reason that this terminology, this, this idea of walking with the Lord is used so frequently in Scripture. And it is so frequent. I'm going to share a few of them right now. Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Genesis 6, 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Deuteronomy 5, 33, You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may... Live long in the land that you shall possess. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Galatians 5.16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And there's a lot more. I cut it short for your sake. (laughs) There's a lot more. 
So hear me when I say this. You cannot sustain yourself and endure the Christian life on fleeting spiritual highs. You can't. Going to a conference, a camp, a retreat, a revival, a crusade, a concert, an especially powerful service. Those can be good things. They can be helpful things, but they will not sustain you. If you think that you need to come here every Sunday and get a spiritual high, you are in for a jerky ride full of doubt and disappointment. We do not craft our services to get you on the mountaintop. We craft our services to get you ready to walk through the valleys. The food that I want to feed you this morning is not dessert in a fancy restaurant. It's an MRI in the trenches of war. So we need to get it out of our heads that church and the Christian life, they need to be exciting and fresh and cool. Listen, church does not need to be exciting. The church needs to be excited. Excited about the Word of God. Excited about prayer. Excited about singing praises to God together. Excited about giving. Excited about one another. So if things aren't exciting enough to you, then look at the pews and not just the stage. We need to be excited. Walk in the presence of God. Right? Don't rest your faith. Don't rest Don't come down from one of those spiritual highs and then decide to take some time off because you think that you got what you needed. It doesn't work. Don't live your life in a way that constantly craves and requires something exciting, something fresh, something new. Learn to walk in the ordinary disciplines of the Christian life. If you can't, then you will wear yourself out. And you'll be useless, just like a husband and wife who think that they always have to keep bringing something fresh, something new into their relationship to keep it exciting, never satisfied with just walking together hand in hand through the hills and the valleys of life. You know what I'm talking about, those couples who who don't learn the art of a slow walk in the right direction. They end up giving up on each other. Because they're never satisfied, never content, always demanding more. But those old couples who have been together most of their adult life, they can look pretty boring, can't they? But they know how to endure. Just like the faithful followers of Jesus who endure to the end. Many of the most faithful can look pretty boring. They might not raise their hands during the music. But they love God and His Word and His people. They keep walking, keep reading, keep praying, keep giving, keep reaching, keep discipling. It might not look exciting. It might not get a lot of views, shares, and likes. But it advances the kingdom of God slowly and surely. God says, walk with me, Abraham. Walk with me, Reed. Walk with me, Barbara. Walk with me, John. Put your own name. Walk with me. What have we covered so far? The first verse? Okay. 
okay, we better get moving. Let's get through three through eight here. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. So God changes his name. Right? Abram meant exalted father, and Abraham means father of a multitude. And this would become a constant reminder of God's promise. Right, Every time Abraham would meet someone new, he would have to communicate God's promise to them. Every time he would hear his name, he would hear God's promise. How many times a day do you hear your name? Some of you might say, well, not many, if any. But for many of us, we hear our names a lot. And I know in our culture, we don't often think much about what a name means, but they did in this culture. And so can you imagine how it would affect your life if your name meant ugly fool? And every morning you wake up and your spouse is like, good morning, ugly fool. You go to work, they're like, hey, ugly fool, how's it going? Meet somebody new, hi, I'm ugly fool. But God gives Abraham this reminder that he would probably hear dozens of times a day. Don't forget my promises, Abraham. And he gave him a new name as a constant reminder of this covenant. And then he goes on to give everyone a sign and a reminder. God said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. So circumcision is meant to serve as a sign, but for whom? I think that's the question too, right? And like, is it a sign for each individual, for, for the family, for God? Is it a sign for outsiders? I think the evidence points most to it being a sign for the individual and or family, as well as a sign a reminder for God. And it could be both of those. I don't see it much as a sign for outsiders, actually. Uh, For one thing, circumcision was not an entirely new thing in the world. It was already practiced, not everywhere, but still it wasn't new. It was taking a new meaning for the Israelites. But furthermore, if it's to be a sign for outsiders, well, that's a pretty weird place to carry a sign. You You an Israelite? Yeah? Yeah? Prove it. Oh, (laughs) sorry, I don't think so. No, more likely this sign serves as a way to remind God's people that they are God's people. God wasn't going to rename everybody. Instead, he gives them circumcision, another constant reminder of his promises. 
But it could also be a reminder for God. You know, we, we read about the rainbow after the flood, and that was a reminder both that, to us that God's not going to do that again, but also to God that he won't do that again. And I don't want you to misunderstand and think this is saying, well, God is forgetful or he needs to be reminded. No, we've taught on this before. When the Bible talks about God remembering something, it signals that he's about to act according to his promises. Right, so it may be that when God would see these circumcised men of Israel, he would remember, so to speak, his promise and would act in their fertility, right? According to his promise that they would multiply. Ronald Youngblood explains it this way. As the rainbow is the sign of a Noah, the Noahic covenant, and as the Sabbath is a sign of the Sinaitic covenant, so circumcision became the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. The rainbow and the Sabbath already existed prior to the institution of the covenants they came to signify. So also circumcision did not originate with Abraham. It was practiced in Egypt and elsewhere centuries before his time, but it received new meaning in Genesis 17. Similarly, thousands of people were crucified before the time of Jesus, but the cross took on a vastly new and different meaning when our Lord was crucified. I think that's a good explanation. I also want to highlight verse 14 about circumcision. It says, If any male is not circumcised into the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this is where God shows us the seriousness of doing things his way. Right, And you could highlight this truth from many places in Scripture, but it's always worth reminding. It's not enough that we worship the right God. We must worship the right God the right way. So if somebody was like, well, I'm interested in following this Lord of yours, but I'm not interested in the circumcision thing, then God says, well, then you will not be one of my people. And similarly, if we say that we are interested in God, but not in his commands, we could one day find out that maybe we weren't one of his people. You might say, well, I want to be a Christian, but I'm not interested in the church thing, or I'm not interested in purity. I'm not interested in kindness. I'm not interested in forgiveness. I'm not interested in generosity. You may be showing that you worship a God of your own design rather than the one you claim to worship. Of course, none of the things that we do, again, they don't save us, but our interest in God's commands reveal our love for him. 1 John 2 says it so well, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also, oh wait, look at that, walk just as he walked. We'll move on to verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her indeed. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? 
Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, No. Your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. So Isaac, he has a lot of laughter surrounding his existence. Uh, And Brendan's actually going to deal with a little more of that next week Uh, in chapter 18. It's interesting that Sarah ends up being rebuked for her laughter, but Abraham is not. And uh, maybe their hearts were just in different places. Uh, There's not a precise answer given for that. You certainly can't blame a guy for laughing at the thought of a 90-year-old woman having a baby. But we see that in Abram's head, Abraham's head, he was thinking, well, how could this be? It's like, dude, have you already forgotten who you're speaking to? We go back to verse 1, and this God that introduced himself as God Almighty, or in the original language, El Shaddai. He's the creator of the universe. I love what Kent Hughes says about this. God was saying by this initial invoking of his name, El Shaddai, I am able to fulfill the awesome hopes that I have set before you of a people and a land. There is no need to let go of the promise because of your old age. There's no need to succumb to passive desperation. There's no need to scale down the promise to match your puny thoughts. No need to resort to fleshly expedience. No need of trying to fulfill the promise in any second-rate way. Everything, all your life, all your future lies in this. I am God Almighty. Christians, it is the same for us. The way we live is determined by what we think of God. If our God is El Shaddai, the awesome, mighty God of this account, then our lives will live out the fullness of God's promises to us. What you truly believe about God is the most important thing in your life. Any thoughts of a God less potent than the God of Abram will shrink your soul and neutralize your faith. Those are great words. This chapter ends with God blessing Ishmael. He says, I've, I hear you, Abraham. I'm going to bless Ishmael. And then Abraham follows through by, with circumcision that very day. Abraham probably thought, you know, God, it's a little late in the game for me to be doing this. 99-year-old man finally getting circumcised. But whatever you say, God... That day, he got two constant reminders about God's promises. And reminders are very important. And that's, that's where I want to, to land this this morning. Everything we do in our life is built on what we believe. And as Christians, our life is built on what we believe about God. If we get God wrong, then we get life wrong. And we also need these constant reminders of who God is, who he says we are, and what he has promised. Without them, you will end up on a roller coaster faith journey. You'll be someone who wants to give up everything for God one day and then can't even pray the next. 
One month you'll be all about evangelism and reaching the lost. And the next month you'll be all about binge watching TV and staying home. You'll feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your life for a time. And then you'll be left confused wondering, where did that feeling go? There's a lot of people in this world with spiritual bipolar disorder. And that is not the way we are meant to live our lives. We are in a covenant relationship like I am with my wife. No offense to Leslie, but we all know the excitement of a new relationship wears off after you've been married for 11 years and now with three kids. And that is okay. I don't need my marriage to be exciting. I want it to be strong. I want it to be deep. I want it to be secure. Leslie will tell people she's happier now than she's ever been. Is that because... Our relationship is more exciting than it's ever been? Nope. (laughs) That's not it. She'll say that because of the deep love, trust, and security that we have built by walking together. She knows who I am, who she is, and what we have promised to each other. And so my challenge to you today is to figure out a way to remind yourself of who God is, who, you, who he says you are, and what he has promised. So maybe you need to memorize scripture. right? Maybe you need to get a scripture memory app on your phone. Maybe you need to write down truths and verses on, on pieces of paper, sticky notes, and stick them all around your life. You need to put them on the mirror in your, in your bathroom. You put them in your car. You need to put it as the background on your your phone screen. You need to put it wherever. All around your house, at work. Maybe you need to listen to music that just praises God, that sings His Word to you. I love, there's this group that we listen to. We got into it because of our kids, but it's amazing. Seeds Family Worship. This is this group. Seeds Family Worship, and they, they sing Scripture. But they do it in such a great way. And, and we'll be riding around town with the kids and, and, or just at home. And these songs, just you're just hearing Scripture over and over and over and over again. And it's wonderful. And it's good music. <laughs> it's good melodies. Or maybe you need to get a consistent Bible reading plan in your life so you can actually better learn, well, who is God? Who does he say I am and what has he promised? Or maybe you need to get in a small group where you can be around other people to help you remember those things. Or maybe you need to do several of the things that I just suggested or you can come up with others. But whatever it is, I implore you to avoid a roller coaster faith. Our faith never needs a day off. Let's pray. God, thank you for your words. It's really, Scripture is so, there's so much. It's so deep. I mean, even just thinking through this chapter that we just read this morning, it's like there's so many other things that you could dig into. And that's the beauty of Scripture, Lord. It's this wonderful book of truth that we just read over and over and over and over again in our lives. Every time we finish it, we just start back over. And it never stops teaching us. It never stops uh, 
cutting us. It never stops changing us. There's nothing else like this in the world. We love your word, Lord. I hope that we would live that way. I pray that you would help us to keep from getting on these roller coasters with our faith, God. I mean, we'll all admit, we love it when when we get to experience something especially powerful, but if that's what we have to have in order to keep moving, then we are doomed. So I pray that you would help us to discern in our own lives what is missing in my life that's keeping me from a consistent, steady walk with the Lord. And we're here not just for ourselves, Lord. We're here to look out for each other. And so maybe there's someone in our life that we love and we've seen in their life this roller coaster. Maybe you would put it on our hearts that we need to go to them and lovingly sit down and say, here's what I see and I want to help. And Lord willing, they would accept help. But if not, then we will pray. Lord, we pray for the people in our world that live on these roller coasters. There are many, 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 many. God, I'm sad for them. It's not a fun life to live. We thank you so much for being the God who makes promises, a God who's powerful enough to keep those promises, a God who's good enough to never go back on those promises. I'm so thankful that I get to lay my head down every night and I don't have any doubts about my standing with you. And that confidence, that security, it doesn't come from what I do. It comes from what Christ did and it comes from what the Holy Spirit has done in me. And so I pray that for every true believer with real faith, Lord, that they would live in that confidence. But that the false converts who have fake faith faith, that they wouldn't live in that confidence, that their life would be full of turmoil, not as a way to just punish them, but as a way to prod them to repentance. God, we thank you so much for all the reminders that you've given us And we pray that you would help us to implement those into our lives, Lord, that we wouldn't neglect to remind ourselves and to remind one another of who you are, who you say we are, and what you've promised. And we pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.